This is Advice for Life with Lynn. Today's issue is learning from grief. You have problems? She has answers. Getting down to the nitty gritty with people who know what they're talking about. This is Advice for Life with Lynn. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at AdviceForLifeWithLynn.com slash Audible. I love the word free. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from. You can get them from your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, everybody. This is a Lynn Quickie on a few beautiful lessons I recently learned from something that we all have experienced or will experience at some point in our lives, and that is grief and trauma. And it doesn't have to be, you know, lead story kind of grief and trauma, but it, anything that's extremely painful to me is considered grief and trauma. Um, it took me a while to process what happened to me, but when I was down and stressed, I would always ask myself, okay, First of all, why is this happening? Because, you know, <laughs> who doesn't want to feel like a victim sometimes? But mainly I ask myself, what can I learn from this? So here's the, the this I'm talking about. My former husband and I were married 19 years when we divorced a couple of years ago. And um, a year after we divorced, he got into a terrible motorcycle accident. It was catastrophic. He was incapacitated and suffered for nearly a, another year with an amputation a couple of them difficulty breathing, infection, the inability to take care of himself or express himself. And as you can imagine, this was really difficult for everybody in his life, especially his children, our teenage children too, you know, because they're the ones I'm raising. He, So he went from intensive care to rehab facilities, several of them. And my kids and I would visit him and it was so heartbreaking Mind you, we we had, you know, just been officially divorced nearly a year when the accident occurred. So our wounds were still fresh, you know, it wasn't, you know, namaste through the entire divorce. And, you know, I can only speak for myself, of course, and I can tell you my wound was that of a victim when I got divorced. And up until his accident, I felt, you know, unappreciated. I felt attacked, unloved, very common feelings, you know, when anybody gets divorced. And I also felt guilty that, or responsible that everything was wrong. Everything that was wrong in the world and between us and our marriage was my fault. Although I did put it on him because, you know, that's what we do as humans. (laughs) I have a whole list of things that I would blame him for. And we, you know, blame others for our negative feelings. And I felt very justified, you know, feeling like the victim. And, you know, you know, in many ways it was. Um, now, I could tell you incredible stories of all the things that were, quote, done to me or happened to me. And you would agree that, you know, uh, that I was a victim in some way. And I might not have shown it at the time, but I had plenty of anger directed toward him, like, you know, regular anger that I would never vocalize. Um, but this is how I felt up until the accident. You know, I would feel like in my head, I would think, you know, why didn't you just change so our marriage could be saved and I would have to go through all this uh, difficulty. And, you know, why didn't you just fix yourself so I don't have to fix myself? <laughs> or I would think, you know, why do I have to raise our children basically by myself and carry the financial burden, you know, which really wasn't totally true. But, you know, that kind of anger, it was deep. 
So, you know, at the time that I got the phone call, you know, the one where the other person on the line, the other line has a tone in their voice where, you know, something is really wrong. Have you ever gotten one of those phone calls? Well, I was on the other side of a remote mountain in Hawaii for work at the time. And I just finished interviewing, um, actually actors, Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard for a movie. And we were taking a selfie, you know, at the end, I'm like, okay, let's take a selfie. When my phone kept ringing and I saw the number and it was work calling. And I remember Chris Pratt saying, wow, you're getting a phone call. No one's getting cell service here. And, uh, I took the picture and I ignored the call for the third time, but the station kept calling me again. And so finally, you know, something in me said, I better pick up, (laughs) you know, they're not calling me for nothing. So, you know, I thought maybe there was a big story on the island they wanted me to cover. I couldn't imagine. So when I said hello, I heard the other person on the other line say, Lynn, and just the tone of voice, I knew something grave had happened. And the person told me my ex-husband was in a severe motorcycle accident and they were looking for next of kin. And did I have all the children's contact information? So at that moment, something incredible happened. All that anger I just talked to you about, which I condensed it, and all that blame inside of me moved, shifted, evaporated. There's this great book called The Course in Miracles. I've talked about it on this podcast. And it calls this kind of change a holy instant. So like anything, like bing, you know, in a second, you can feel a change. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. But in a holy instant, that holy instant, I totally forgave him and myself, both of us. And the only thing coming out of me was love and concern. So my sister once asked me, how do you forgive? And I remember saying to her, I don't know. (laughs) I think it's a feeling. It's not a thought. I forgive you. It's a shift within your body. And I was half right. I learned from that moment and on that island, on that, that mountain in Hawaii, that it's a change in perception that comes and that change in perception initiates a change in feeling in a holy second, like in a second, in a holy instant. So a feeling of letting go and only loving, I think that's forgiveness. So my lesson number one in the grief and trauma that I learned was the first lesson I learned on that mountain. And I learned forgiveness can be in a holy instant. And forgiveness is a change in perception and feeling and that forgiveness and love uh, can stay with you. It stayed with me. So in the year that he was in the hospital, I would support, I would encourage our children to see their dad, even though it was really hard for everybody. And if you've ever seen anybody you care about, even if you don't care about suffering, you know how difficult it is. You know, we're, we're compassionate people. And it was really difficult to see him suffer. And it was difficult to see our children suffer. And they suffered seeing him and not seeing him, whether they went to see him or not seeing him, it was, t- it was all around suffering. Their entire world had changed and would, ever, would forever change. And there was only one thing I could do, and that would be to love them and their father in the best way I knew how. You know, there's nothing you can do to alleviate that. And sometimes during this year, it was too difficult for the kids to go see him. And one day I had this quick intervert urge and like this voice in my head that said, okay, the kids aren't going to be able to go, but you can go, you can see them after work. That's the right thing to do. And, uh, and I did, I drove to the hospital because it was the right thing for me to do. 
And I just felt like I spent 20 years with this person. We had two great kids together and he was a human being. And I would want people to visit me too and forgive me too, be kind to me too. And I didn't tell anybody at the time. I just showed up at his dimly lit room and I said hello and in an overly cheerful voice, hi, you know, I tend, you know, I tend to get that way when I'm nervous. And, you know, I give him attention like I would anybody else. I asked the nurse to bathe him, to change his sheets. You know, it's the doing because I felt so uncomfortable and sad. And I told him I forgave him and I forgave myself and that the kids were all doing great. You know, I didn't want him to worry. I didn't know how much he could comprehend. This was like one of my first alone visits. And at the time, he could kind of talk. And he said, I miss you, just in a sing-song voice, kind of like he used to. I miss you. I love you. Now, his brain suffered, you know, damage. So I wasn't sure if this was a real feeling coming from him or if it was just something to say, like he said a lot before, or if he didn't remember how things were really nasty between us before the accident, or maybe he had a whole instant. instant. But I saw the importance of the moment when he said, I miss you. I love you. And I told him I loved him too. I'm like, I love you too. Kept the light and cheery. Keep your voice up high. And I meant it, you know, the love part from a, on the mother of your kid standpoint, you're a human being standpoint. It's not that, you know, I've got, I'm in a great, intimate, fabulous relationship. And, you know, it's a different kind of love. And that's another thing I learned. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a different kind of love and it's okay. Which leads me to lesson number two, love comes in many forms and degrees, which we all know intellectually, at least I did, but I really got it when I visited him the first time in the hospital. And I also learned that it's okay to love your former spouse in a non-romantic but caring way. It makes you an overall more loving person to all people, including your romantic partner, or at least for me. By the way, little disclaimer, it's okay not to love your ex. You're not a bad person if you don't. It's That's completely normal, but it's okay too. So that was lesson number two, which moves me to lesson number three. Don't judge others or yourself. That's such a huge, beautiful thing to really get, not just to say, you know, I learned everybody handles grief and trauma differently. Some people want to visit the person. Some people don't want to visit the person. Everybody's doing the best they can. Let everybody process their own way. You know, it's just like funerals. Some people can go. So I used to take that so personally. I can't believe, like, I remember when one of my mother-in-laws, mother-in-laws died, uh, she died. And I remember her brother was in the state of Florida and I, and I heard, oh, he, he can't come. It's too far. I was so judging, like, who doesn't come to their sister's funeral? Well, you know, maybe he had some emotional trauma himself. Who am I to judge? So everybody handles their own trauma and grief their own way. All right. Which brings me to lesson number four. Only be with people who support your desire to love and forgive others. Let me repeat that. Only be with people who love, only be with people who support your desire to love and forgive others, if that is your desire. This whole, you know, trauma was a great opportunity for my partner and my boyfriend to show me who he is. You know, you never know, you know, people don't get opportunities to show up in this kind of way. You know, would he react by being judgmental? insecure, emotionally unavailable, could. No, 
He was fully 120% supportive, understanding, patient, and above all loving. And it allowed me to be myself, to go through grief my own way. You know, I mean, I felt like such a Debbie Downer for a good, you know, eight months, but it's, that's life. And I realized that the only kind of person I could be with is that kind of person. In fact, every person in my circle, my peeps, my team, my support system reacted the same way. They gave me space. They loved me. They accepted me. They were patient. They checked in. And if they didn't, this would have been a great time to clean house. And I wouldn't have had them in my life. Nearly a year later after that accident, and just a few months ago, uh, my former husband passed away. And the day before he died, I went to see him after work in hospice. I saw him a couple times alone, but you know, when somebody goes to hospice, you know, at least, you know, I figured I'm, I'm, I'm in TV news. I'm like, Oh, I think hospice is bad. I think I should go bad in terms of, you know, the end is near. So, um, again, it was a calling that said, go see him. Even though I had already talked to him and cleared the air with him and told him all these good things. I just felt like I would, it's kind of like when, I don't know if I go, when I go to the other side, I want somebody to hold my hand, maybe not even hold it physically, but like to be there for me, my team, my people. So I had never visited anybody in hospice before. And I remember walking off the elevator, my work clothes and down the hallway, it had an energy I'd never felt before. Um, I don't know, it was peaceful, but I don't know, kind of felt like death too, like a giving up or a letting go. I don't know, maybe I'm getting too deep, but that's what it felt like to me. And I went to see him because, again, I felt it was the right thing to do. It was a calling for myself and it was right for me. And I knew he had a serious infection that was contagious. And I knew he was in his last few hours and I needed to comfort him, I guess. So uh, I walked into his room and I put on this fake cheerful little voice and, you know, put on my gown and everything. And I put on that voice mainly to comfort myself. Again, you know, when I'm nervous or anxious, I talk a lot. I was like, hey there, how's it going? It's Lynn. Uh, as if we were on vacation, you know, we happen to run into each other. How's it going? How's your girlfriend? Oh, no. Um, I sat down to him next to him and, uh, and I looked around. The room was dark, you know, like, you know, like a peaceful dark. And it was really plain. And I was sort of taking it all in. And, um, he was trying to talk to me. He was going, uh, 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 trying to look at me, looked at me a couple of times in the eye. And then other times as I was doing you know, the rapid eye movement. And so while he was talking, I was, you know, I wanted him to know that I was listening, even though I didn't really know what he was saying. So I was taking in the whole room and there was a carton of protein drink opened and untouched and, uh, he didn't have a feeding tube anymore and I knew he wasn't drinking and, um, again, he was trying to talk and he seemed anxious. I had no idea what he was saying and I would listen and then I would say a few things and then I would listen. And then I would say a few things and I said things to him that I would want said to me at the end of my life, sort of like a wrap up of your life, you know, only the good things, please. Um, you know, and I told him everybody loved him and that he did a great job with his kids and that he's a great dad and son and friend and everything's okay. And that, you know, we all have him in our hearts and that it's okay to relax. And, you know, you hear about people telling other people, uh, at the end of their life that it's okay to leave and let go. And I never felt it was up to me to play God 
with him or I probably wouldn't do that with anybody. I would never say it's okay to go just for me because I felt like it was up to him and God, the universe, our creator to decide, you know, when his exit will be. Um, but I wanted to do everything I could to help relax him and know that, you know, everything that he created is, is thriving. So I stayed for a bit longer. Um, after that, my little spiel and I was just sitting there and he stopped talking and, you know, I just felt so tight and I was thinking, okay, when do you leave? It's been 35 minutes, 40 minutes. Should I stay longer? When's the right time, you know? And as I was thinking about this, I was looking around the room and I just noticed there wasn't one personal item in his hospice room. He had moved from, you know, medical facility to medical facility and now he was in hospice and I realized wow, we really do leave this earth with nothing, nothing physical, not even our bodies, but nothing, no money, no picture, no, there wasn't one frame, artwork, you know, nothing. And I looked up behind him was this beautiful picture of a beach, kind of reminded me of Sanibel. And, you know, I just described it to him. I said, Hey, you know, you have a beautiful picture behind you. It reminds me of Sanibel when we used to go. And, and I described it, you know, sort of like sunset and the dunes. Well, there wasn't much dunes. It was just like a pile of sand, but anyway, um, seashells and things like that. And I realized we really cannot be attached to material things. Enjoy the material things, but don't be attached to them, which I heard Eckhart Tolle say many, many times. He's a great guru I love. And Oprah too, you know, be attached. Don't be attached to your things. Enjoy them, but, you know, let them go because nothing is forever. So lesson number four, enjoy the world, enjoy material things, plan for your future, but be attached to nothing. What's really important, what you're really going to leave this earth is how you treated people. I really got that from sitting there watching him going, what he leaves with everybody, ooh, I'm going to cry. What he leaves with everybody is how he made them feel, things he used to say, how he made people laugh, you know, maybe little lessons and quirks that he passed along to his friends and family. That's what matters. That's what that's your legacy. So after those 35 minutes, which I want to say 40, but really I think it's 35 because I still feel guilty. Um, I couldn't take the heaviness and sadness anymore coming from myself, I guess. I felt like I needed a massage, you know? So I got up and I said, like, what do you say? What do you say to somebody in hospice who, you know, you're not going to see in human form again. So I got up and I said, okay, I'm leaving now everything's okay. Take care. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I really, I didn't know what to say. Um, so I turned around and I looked back at him and I realized, you know, it's going to be the last time I ever saw him alive. And I took his picture because that's just me. I think I deleted it since. And, um, I just kind of felt numb, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to cry or anything. But I definitely had a lot of feelings because the doer came out and left his room and I marched over to the nurse's office and I asked him about his meds because I was touching him with my gloves on and he felt really hot. And um, I was like, you know, he's got an infection. What are you giving him? I want to see the medication. I was getting all cranky and feisty. And I just knew this was my way of handling so many emotions. I wanted to know that he wasn't in a lot of pain, even though I knew he was on um, 
you know, heavy pain medicine. I was like, is it enough? How do you know? How do you know? Um, so I left and I went home and I called one of my best friends. I think I, I think I had a meltdown on the phone. I can't remember. I had a couple and 24 hours later he, um, passed away and I knew it was coming. You know, we all knew it was coming. We all knew he was suffering and we all wanted him not to suffer anymore. But, you know, I designated my job to be that of the strong pillar and strength and love for our children. And I said to myself, when, when he passes, that's what I'm going to be strong pillar of love and strength. But to my surprise, his death still hit me like a ton of bricks and it was a, I was a lot sadder than I ever thought I was going to be. I remember the next day, one of my friends, Mashreen, sent me a beautiful, I don't know, she sent me a song. I can't remember the song, what it is now. Probably I did that on purpose. It's somewhere in my phone. I must have listened to that song. I'm not kidding. And I'm not exaggerating. 38 times that day, the next day, the day after he died. And it made me cry and everything. I cried for the entire day. I've heard that from some of my friends and some of the people in my group therapy. I cried all day. No, 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 no. I, yeah, I can understand why you cry all day. Like cried all freaking day. Like, you know, eyes swollen shut. And, um, I couldn't stop. And I was mourning the good times and the happy moments and the love that was once there and my kid's sadness and, and I was mourning the person whose life I felt was cut too short and the children who now have to go through the rest of their lives without a dad. And, you know, it was sad. It's so funny because when we got divorced, I didn't cry. <laughs> not a lick, not a, I wasn't sad at all. I didn't mourn anything. Um, I don't know. Death is just like, you know, a, a um, slice right to your center of your heart. And I guess it gets to all those deep things that you buried Lesson number five, let yourself feel what you're feeling without question. Remember, I cried for an entire day and I cried for the good times and the children we had and my children's loss, like I said, and the things that he would miss in their lives and didn't remember, you know, many bad things because, you know, that's how it is. And then over time, I felt better. Literally, like the next day, I felt so much better. I mean, not like we, but like I got a lot out and I would never wish suffering or grief or trauma on any, any of us. At the same time, I'm so grateful for all the lessons I learned in that year. I personally will never be the same. This has made me a more sensitive person, um, more in tune with, more sensitive to, to others going through a, a challenging time, more compassionate for those dealing with trauma of any kind. And it also made me less, way less judgmental on how other people process different situations, how they process grief and trauma. So my friends, remember this. Number one, love. Two, forgive. Three, don't judge others and don't judge yourself. Four, enjoy the world and all the stuff that we love in it without being attached to it. And five, let yourself feel without question. I'm going to remember those five lessons. And I thank everybody for listening and, and, uh, may my ex-husband rest in peace and hope he's having a great time where he's at. Thanks for listening. And remember everybody, there's nothing we can't talk about.
A reminder to everybody, submit your questions on AdviceForLifeWithLynn.com. I care about what's on your mind. I love your questions. And when you go to my website, you'll also get access to my free happiness guide when you sign up. Also, I'm looking for guests with different ways they can help the Advice for Life followers. So reach out if you have something to say and you want to be on the podcast. Lastly, please subscribe and rate my podcast on iTunes. I really care about what you think. Tell me how I'm doing, what you want to hear about. The links are also in the show notes and also on the website. I want to help as many people as I can with this podcast and your shares and your subscribes and your reviews help us gain visibility in the iTunes store and help us reach a lot more people. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll see you next time. And remember, there is nothing we can't talk about.